0: I trust my team to execute until they give me a reason not to trust them.
1: This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Arman Shrocki. Each week, Arman will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics so if you wanna to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve a, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curvey.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.
2: Hello. We are starting another episode of SaaS Scaled, and I'm pleased to have Devin Johnson with me, CEO and co-founder at Connected. Thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate you having me on and excited for the conversation today.
2: Great. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've been an entrepreneur since I was 15. I actually started in sneakers. And so Nike's, Jordan's, Yeezy's, highly collectible shoes. For anyone listening that might be familiar with sneaker heads, right? People that just love shoes. That's where I got my start. So my dad had a few hundred pairs of shoes, always bought me shoes. And I was like, there's got to be something here. You know, I was faced with some adversity at a young age. My sister was diagnosed with cancer. My dad was absent from our from our household for about a year, and I started hustling to help mom go through the situation of having to move into the hospital. Right, and sneakers was my outlet. That's where my first hustle was. Right. I will fast forward just a little bit. My sister's still with us today. Unfortunately, my dad passed away when I was twenty one. So a lot of challenges at a young age, but thankful for for all the adversity so with sneakers me and actually my brother started a trade show and then the trade show we learned how to do digital marketing and i i often say i got my mba in business in high school of learning how to build relationships and and market and build websites and you know sell online i mean we learned to do everything but we thought we were just hustling right through that process we threw our biggest event my senior year in high school uh, we had several thousand people and over a hundred vendors at it. I actually had to rent out a venue at our state fairgrounds here in Indianapolis, Indiana, where we're located. You could still Google it; it's called Indy All Star Sneaker Expo. So there's like YouTube recaps about it and stuff. Uh, so that was my first hustle, and throughout that process, StockX was released. It's an app It came out, and you could buy sneakers and what you need and And highly desirable collectibles, but more importantly, it told you what to pay for. So now they're a multi-billion dollar company, actually killed the profit margins in that business. And my pivot as I graduated high school was to get into digital marketing because I learned to build (laughs) websites, you know, had a small ecosystem of uh, business owners that I could serve at the moment. And so digital marketing, and in that process, I learned that I hated service-based revenue and we got into something called reoccurring revenue which I think everyone on this podcast is a big fan of, right? And Connected was born, right? The idea started on a napkin. And what we do at Connected is we automate lead generation through LinkedIn. If you think I should be spending time on LinkedIn, we can automate that process.
2: Yeah, I'm myself a big fan of LinkedIn and then, you know, use it every day. So I can see a lot of rooms to, you know, boost the productivity with automations probably, you know, some of those processes by inserting and infusing some intelligence there. So that's great. What do you see, you know, a big challenge today in the market when it comes to SaaS companies who are trying to scale? And our audience, of course, are more, you know, business people or product people in charge of the strategies and growing the SaaS companies and scaling them. What do you think the biggest challenge or one of the biggest, one of the challenges, major challenges for them might be?
0: I'm in a group called Boardroom with Dan Martell, which is a bunch of high-level tech CEOs. And the number one topic that gets brought up inside that group is the recruiting challenge that people are having. I think a lot of people talk about marketing and legion issues. So I would rather spend today on a very hot topic uh, about the recruiting problems that people are having. Companies are way overpaying or saying they're going to way overpay, you know, maybe different once that person actually gets hired. They're poaching like crazy and you got to play dirty. I mean, we're at one of the lowest unemployment rates we've ever had as a country, right? And so it's very, very, very competitive. It's hard to find good people right now. Now I have some tips and, and pointers on that, but that's definitely a topic I want to discuss today.
2: Please go ahead if you would like to share with us some points I would like to ask you also about the kind of you know digital economy and the kind of people people need now are more digital kind of you know type of workers rather than maybe traditional and how do you see that transition is happening but please go ahead and uh, share with us the points you would like and
0: yeah you definitely have to be built to be able to be remote you know i i have a company where about a- a third of my offices are in office cuz they choose to be and then the rest is remote. So you definitely it starts with being able to be flexible and understand that people are really leaning towards that work from home and wanting that flexibility. And a few small things you can you know think about there is unlimited PTO at your company. I have it here at Connected and very few people ever take advantage of unlimited pay time off I mean it's just a cool incentive to pull them in also the the work from home flexibility like hey we have an office you could work from here but you could work from home right so having that flexibility but where I think people are struggling is they don't even know where to start on recruiting nowadays and so my our philosophy here at connected is, The roles we are hiring for in our tech company, it's not like they're brand new roles. that's never, ever existed in any other tech company, right? You have sales, you have expansion revenue, you have customer support, you have marketing, you have operations and customer facing, right? I mean, four main departments. There's other tech companies that have put in and spent really good money on training their people but their people may not see areas or room for growth for instance like a salesforce right we have recruited quite a few people from Salesforce because it's like impossible to to rank up and have career upper mobility. So identifying who you need first like you don't just start hiring people because you need to hire people you need to know who you want. Second off what tech companies big tech giants have these types of people? and make a list, like an account-based marketing list, but for recruiting, right? We Most of us, again, on this call are probably using ABM strategies to gain key accounts. Do it for your recruiting. List out who's got these roles that you're needing, right? So who, and then who is already employing them, so you're not starting from ground zero. Number three, they are on LinkedIn. There's a 90% chance these business professionals are on LinkedIn, you can type in the role using a Boolean search, so putting quotes around the title you need to search for, so account executive being an example, and then selecting the 25 companies, the company filter, and boom, all these account executives are going to pop up that currently work at these key companies. And then you create an outreach strategy, manual or automated. You, know, you can use Connected for this and say, hey... We're looking for our next six-figure earner offering full pay time off. It is a remote position as well and would love to have a, a conversation with you. The outreach and recruiting needs to be simple, attract, I mean, super sexy, right? People on entry level are probably not making six figures, right? And so if you're targeting like a brand new account executive, like he's thinking he's going to get the six figures quick, but he probably's not there, right? And I'm going to explain back in conversation in just a second. So you keep it super simple, super attractive, super simple. Get them on that recruiting call, right? A lot of people on here probably have a chief of staff, a recruiter, head of HR, someone that's taking these interviews, right? And if you don't have an interview process, that's a whole other topic. But I'm assuming you have some basics in place here, right? So again, just recapping. You got to know who you want, identify companies that are already employing them, and then create outreach through LinkedIn with simple messaging saying something sexy and attractive to get them in that first interview and begin the interview process. With that implemented, again, you could do it manual or automated, you know, just the shameless plug here for Connected, but you will have more interviews and resumes sent in than any other any amount of money you could spend on Indeed because the brutal fact is true good talent in these roles you're needing in any department, they're not on Indeed looking for a job. They are already employed and they're probably taken care of and, you know, very well compensated or taken care of, right? So you have to go to them. They're not just going to come knock on your door. Good talent's just not going to knock on your door. I burned a lot of money figuring this out last year. And you have to go to them. They're not going to come to you through Indeed and these other channels.
2: The great talents, the the thing is they already, you know, people know them and they have great experience working with them. And before even they wanted to come, you know, to market to find any opportunity, perhaps many people reach out to them and then ask them, hey, we are here whenever you're available. We would love to work with you. And that's, you know, makes perfect sense. So how do you feel about, for example, we have gone through some changes partially because of the COVID, but those are the changes that would have happened perhaps, but COVID accelerated, right? So for example, we were working remotely before COVID, but at a totally different scale, we are working remotely now, for example, right? So we were forced to work remotely and then it worked. And it's something that we never dared to test it at that scale to say starting tomorrow morning, just everyone work at home for the next some months. And it happened and we had to do it and it worked well. And for most part, many companies who could work it out and still, you know, of course, there are some kind of caveats there and there are some, you know, things that you have, it's, it's not automatic, like anything in life is not automatic. You have to really, you know, think about it, plan it, do it right, you know, have a good plan and execution in place. But it can work very well, and then when it works, the benefits are really great. So, how do you see it based on your experience? Some companies are successful, you know, going to 100% remote model. Do you think it will go back? Like many things, it may kind of, you know, go up and then go down and then maybe stabilize at one level, maybe 50% remote, or you see the future will be definitely 100% remote. It's just a matter of when, not if.
0: Yeah, I don't think it'll ever be a 100% remote. Let me just speak to my team at Connected. My sales team thrives off one another, right? And I I have some very high-end producers here, and they do like to be able to go remote for a week or whatnot. But there's a point at which they want to be at the office late nights and working and shooting darts and using whiteboards and strategizing together. So I don't think it'll ever be a 100% remote for that fact of synergy and collaboration and the number one need as a human, just anyone in the world, I don't, it doesn't, industry doesn't matter. You have to feel wanted or needed as a human. That's just one of the things we have to have. And it's really hard to maintain that all the time, a hundred percent remote. Right. So I think there'll always be some sort of touch of come to the office, come to the quarterly meetup, come to something. Right. I do think that you have to be flexible in this workplace. If you are anti-remote or all office, like either side of the fence, you got to wake up. People have too many options and there's too much money on the sidelines right now to be snatching really good talent from you like this, you know, because there's, it's a deadly combination right now. There's more money on sidelines in investors' pockets than there ever has been, right? And there's abundant talent that want to work remote and gain flexibility. So it's deadly to not have a hybrid model right now as a CEO or any company scaling right now.
2: When you're talking about, you know, bringing some people from well-known company, established company, probably, you know, they might have good compensation there, job stability, everything. What is the driver in the mind of people based on what you have experienced that, that's what they wanted to get. That's why they make changes in the job. I mean, even salaries may not be the driver. It might be something else that drives them. And sometimes I have seen people feel good about working in some workplaces, despite the compensation and financial situation of, you know, the, I'm not talking about the numbers and figures and salaries. per se. Sometimes they feel really good about working in some places. What is that?
0: Yeah. So my generation from various ways, I'm 25, right? It's like 70% of my generation doesn't care about the income. They care about the impact, right? And if the product is super dry, super stale, super boring, like a CRM, I mean, anyone that's in the CRM game, I'm sorry. CRMs are, are boring. Like it's data coming in. You have to, but if you're in the CRM space, like that's boring. But if you have something that's, Saving time, changing lives, giving financial freedom, giving back something, or tied to a bigger cause. My younger generation is more drawn to that type of workplace. They would take half the money to make the bigger impact. It's crazy, right? Now, for these established companies, why would someone leave their cush, you know, $150,000 salary? Let's just use that as an example. It's pretty normal, right? they don't see upward mobility within themselves. So to be able to get talent like that, what we have done is said, hey, John, we're not established as Microsoft, right? But we'll bridge your income at $150,000 for 90 days and then give you an on-track earnings compensation that's you know, $50,000 more than you could ever make at Microsoft. On-track earnings, it's very simple. So we use it in a sales context, okay? So you, we're all built on KPIs, or at least we should be as a company, of numbers we need to hit quarterly, monthly, and yearly, right? We'll take that by department and align it with your compensation. So the OTE is, hey, Armand, I'm going to pay you 120000 as a rep for 90 days. We're going to pay you regardless at the 120, but after... Day ninety one, you're going to go to a sixty thousand dollar base with a non chart earnings of two hundred thousand. So you have commissions up to two hundred thousand, and you hit these certain KPIs to unlock that. Takes less risk out of the CEO, business owner, CFO, those running your budget, and pulls in good talent because you can bridge the difference and get them in the door and give them time to. Again, they're there to level up, so you got to get them in to level them up and then give them a path to where they can make more than they you know, would have been making at the established company.
2: Yeah, and with this kind of technique, then that concern about the first 90 days that I need to build the pipeline and get everything ready, go away, because then you say, okay, don't worry about that 90 days, and then it gives you time to really go forward. And and in that case, you're right. I mean, people who wanted to really move up then would be, interested and excited about this model. Well, let's say, for example, you get to the point in your company, you grow, 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 you scale the SaaS company. Now you are at the point that you are concerned yourself that you are that established company may not be Microsoft, but you know you are at the point that now you are that kind of established company. And then you think about how can I make really this company now more exciting for you know, my team? And now, My team are there and I don't want them to feel like now I'm part of this company that anyway is doing whatever it does. It's not that exciting. What is the idea at that point, you know, that you would implement in the company that brings that kind of feeling that, you know, what you do matters to the employees?
0: Yeah. So you could think through on the HR side, you could think through cool incentives like we offer pet insurance and we offer unlimited pay time off and we offer you know a savings account for vacations and health uh, benefits that we, we help them establish and, and contribute to, right? So like that's the HR side of it. But the founder visionary side of me says you had a core culture when you started this company. When it was ten people, you guys were, you know, messing around shooting paper wads into the trash, shooting, like having fun while you worked, right? We all remember those first 10, 20, 30, that fun and spark needs to be maintained at scale. So I literally have a chief fun officer. That's his whole job. He makes $70,000 a year to plan fun events and to maintain one thing I said that will never go away in this company. And it was a quarterly nerf war between the company. People just want to have fun. They spend 60 to 70% of their life in your four walls as you're running that company. That's a brutal truth. When you look at how much time the average person's working for you or with you, why wouldn't you put them in an environment where they feel encouraged, having fun, and can collaborate? We're in a bowling tournament right now, right? It's like every two weeks, three weeks, there's some sort of event or opportunity. Two weeks from now, there's Red River Gorge hiking trip, right? The people are signing up for. We got a Kings Island trip, which is an amusement park here or close to here, right? So you you have to employ someone that's as wacky as you were starting the company to keep it fun, but keep it on HR guidelines and then give cool incentives like, you wouldn't believe how crazy people went over pet insurance. It was insane. It was like... It was like we changed the world. I mean, it was, it was incredible. So looking into those unique types of incentives. And then as the CEO, you, you start to gain access to like really cool relationships, just like I know you have in, in, your, in your past. Bringing your relationships to talk to them and let them see you and be transparent. And another thing that we do once a month is town hall. We show the company's numbers line by line. We show what we're doing and and key relationships, and I run that meeting, right? I lead that meeting, and then other key executives chime in. I mean, there's a lot that we do to maintain. We're at that, you know, almost hard-to-communicate number of 200, right? That's kind of the key number. After 200, it it gets really hard to communicate good, but I've started putting systems in place to maintain the fun and the culture.
2: That's really good because uh, what you said about, you know, someone – pays attention to that aspect of having fun or, in other words, even make the work more interesting. It's not just a boring that, you know, as you said, it's a lot of time that we spend just at work environment with coworkers and everything. And if you're just, just there to work and just, you know, not doing anything. And that's the other aspect that maybe goes back to the point you made that if you are working all remotely 100%, it's hard to maintain that aspect because you're just a bunch of individuals never see each other. You, You lose that part of, you know, having fun and we are at the end, you know, kind of people that want to be with each other and just experiment and experience and not just individually work in a room for the lifetime. So when you have people, do you think that, you know, People also are happy when they are part of something. You mentioned transparency. So they don't feel like we don't know why we are doing this. We don't have any idea what's the rationale behind the decisions being made. The data is not shared with us. So that kind of, you know, not knowing, it doesn't give them the purpose they should have, right? So when they know why they are doing something, then they are thinkers, not just followers. And and in that way, maybe they are also exercising something, experimenting something that they can ask questions. It's okay in the organization for them to ask questions. Why do you want me to do this? Rather than you just do this and then you should not ask too too many questions. Some organizations have cultivated that kind of culture that actually they ask everyone to ask why if you don't know why. And that maintains that sense of purpose, you know, between team members, right? So they feel good.
0: Yeah. About a year and a half ago, we started sharing those numbers and asking for feedback and ideas. Two ideas for listeners here on the podcast. I've implemented and continue to to use these two strategies, accompanying Shark Tank. So twice a year, we'll set it up Shark Tank style, just like the TV show they come in and pitch the ideas of the four to grow the company because they know the numbers, they know where we're going. They have ideas. So twice a year we have that. And last time we did it, you know, we had 30 participants giving ideas and we implemented two of them to make the company much better and much stronger than it ever has been. Just off the last one, they have a voice and they want to be heard. Connected can go pull, a $150,000 guy from ABC company, because I know the culture sucks for 60 grand. And they'll come over here with static. I don't have as much cash on hand as these guys with hundreds and hundreds of millions sitting around, but you know, I can, I can make some stuff stick and move and make happen. Right. And, you know, you just have to think of if you were starting over and you weren't the CEO, where would you want to work? What would you want to do on a day to day? And step back and think about that. People let, don't think like that very often.
2: And then you are co-founder and you are CEO. How do you feel that, you know, from your perspective as a co-founder and, and CEO, if you were just CEO, not the co-founder, not being a founder, but only being CEO versus being both or even being founder but not even CEO how do you see these two aspects and you do both you have to do you know what the founder does and then you do what CEO does but do you see kind of these two things separated do you feel like no they're from your perspective they are the same so if you were a CEO not the founder of another company today would have changed anything for you or you think, you know, every day you come to work and you feel, you know, I'm doing
1: both at the same time.
0: So personally, I see both as the same because that's what I know, right? That's what I've always done, right? And I have been fortunate enough to level myself up and level up my relationships to be able to maintain running at that level and always seeing a bigger, better version of myself, right? It starts up here, right? However, it is not the same. <laughs> I see it the same as me because that's how I know it. But I know too many founders that can never be a CEO for the simple fact is they they have a control issue. They have an ego attached to the product or the idea and can't release it to the team to be able to build and scale. Right. So the question at hand is I could easily step up and go be a CEO at another company, but I would want voting and a little bit of board control because there's just some people that are just out of this world with ego and attachment to stuff. And and you can't have that as you're scaling a massive, massive company.
2: And do you feel like you have a magic power because you're a founder that helps you, that makes it easier to do the CEO job?
0: Yeah, yeah, that definitely – it it empowers me personally, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, this was – so out of the group that found it together, I was the one that brought the idea and, and drew it on the napkin, the whole nine yards. I was the one that found the first developer. So, like, I have an attachment to that because that was so cool to see it literally go from nothing like it existing to – here we are servicing 18,000 companies employing over 160 people, right? And one of the fastest growing companies on the Inc. 5000 list, you know, going on two years in a row, the top, top 500. So it is a great personal motivator.
2: And how do you feel about in the future as you scale the company now being founder and CEO attached to the company can be maybe one of the concerns of the company that wants to scale if the company can scale without the founder. I mean, CEO is something that is defined and you can have different CEOs in the company. And if the CEO leaves and another CEO comes, it's fine. It's well-defined kind of function. Founder, you cannot move the founder and bring another founder, right? So that doesn't work that way. And it, it might be something that maybe some companies exist out there that they are doing well with the founder in place. But when they try to move out the founder and the CEO came and it didn't do as well as it could, I mean, a Starbucks has been in the news and the founder is back for the third time now? And is, is this something that the company seems to be scaling well and doing well when the founder is there? And this is not a small company that they don't know how to hire CEO, or they don't have the process, the good process of hiring, or they are not, you know, so so you wonder, you know, how do you see that? Do you think that in the future, you are really moving forward to make sure that your company is not going to be too dependent on you as the founder so the company can scale without you know any problem even if you know so that means that probably you should carefully use your founding power
0: I <laughs> actually I've been in this stage for about 8 months I only run 3 internal meetings a week it's a financial meeting it's a legal meeting and then it's an executive IDS for my four direct reports uses my visionary style to execute. I only use my four direct reports. And like right now, I've got everything deployed. And I'm in that weird CEO days of... I have a little bit too much time on my hands where I'm used to having eight, nine hours worth of work every day. I might have two or three hours worth of work right now because I have everything out and it's just being crushed by my team. So... I don't get in my own way. I'm blessed to not have the ego attachment. That's the issue. The founder attaches too much ego and pride into the company, as whereas I understand Connect, it's a vehicle. My company is a vehicle for others to level up, and they have to be able to drive the car if they're ever going to master it. So I, I have no issues personally, but I've seen it be the kryptonite of companies many, many times. So... I, at this stage, and just for clarity for listeners, about $27 million this year in revenue. So, you know, I, I am dealing with a lot of the abnormal issues, right? The HR issues. The, she said, we said bullshit. You know, I do deal with those type of problems every once in a while. But I don't get in the way of them being solved. That's the difference. I trust my team to execute until they give me a reason not to trust them. And I have to use my founding power, right? There's that superpower. Hey, you shithead, you messed up. Admit it. You're out. I'll fix it now and then replace it. That's the only time I I use that type of ego or or voice.
2: (laughs) Makes sense. So, Devin, I would like to ask you also at the end of this interview, this fantastic interview, actually, to share with us any book that you might like or may want to you know, suggest for the audience.
0: If anyone's not read uh, Think and Grow Rich, that's my favorite book of all time. I do believe everything starts with the mindset and your intentions. I think a lot of people listening is probably have read that book. So I'll give you another one. Scaling Up, if no one's ever read that book, it is an awesome, awesome process to not only read, but implement in phases within your business. I mean, I personally run off of the combination of scaling up in the EOS system, the entrepreneur operating system at my company. It's just a game changer. It's really helped us scale. Those are the two like major, major books. I do try to read every single day, so I do consume quite a bit of information, but those are two like must-reads.
2: Fantastic. I appreciate it. Thanks again. For joining us, it was great. I personally definitely enjoyed it. I hope you know listeners enjoy it as well. And we hope to see you again, maybe in the
0: future. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Sas Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscale.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, a, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.